Well, good morning, guys. Hey, I, I'm glad, I am glad to see some people here today. I didn't know, to be honest with you, uh, as, as you guys got out this morning, as I did, and kind of a little treacherous out there, but I, I'm thankful you pressed through. I uh, don't know if that was wise or not, but uh, you're here, and, uh, and I, I'm excited, and I know that the Lord is going to bless our, our time together today. We've, we obviously will also have a lot of people watching online today as well, so if you are watching online already uh, glad you are dialing in this morning. We understand. Uh, we, we might have a lot of guests here today. I don't know if there's any guests out in, amongst us here, but uh, we do have some online. If you are a guest of our church and you're kind of dialing in, uh, would you text the word connect? I think there might be a prompt up there. There you go. You can text that word connect at any point in time just to let us know that you're, you're dialing in with us. We'll reach out to you, let you know uh, that we're thankful for you being here. Uh, and you, for the rest of us, we know that we can grab those cards somewhere around here um, and just use those however, man, the Lord leads today in our, in our time together. But excited that you're here. We've got a lot of things going on in the church. We've been talking about them. Uh, groups have launched. Um, we have a, a discussion group that meets on campus. We've got a, a Saturday morning a coffee at the creek thing we've been doing here for men and women uh, we really, really want to encourage you to meet um, outside of what we do on Sunday because we, we we're wired for connectivity, we need relationships, and we cannot grow in isolation. So I hope you're a part of something like that. If you want to find out more information, check the card. We'll reach out to you and help you get connected to a lot of the activities and things that we're doing here on campus. Uh, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9, all right? That's where we're going to be today. Now, um, uh, two of my favorite movies of all time, if you've been around the church here long, you know I mention these often, but two of my favorite movies of all time, Gladiator and Braveheart, all right? Now, I know they're probably not on your Valentine's Day uh, flicks. Like You're probably not going to watch those tonight, but I would argue the case that they are probably the most romantic movies of all time. Uh, yes, they're full of guts and glory and battle and all those things, but these, these movies are about men who were so devoted to and loved something so much that they died for what they believed in. Uh, William Wallace, we know that he died. His, his fight, his passion was for the freedom of Scotland, and he would not betray uh, or compromise what he was fighting for even as he was being disemboweled unto death. Um, we have the story, of course, of the gladiator, and um, uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, gives here the Maximus, the story there, where um, he dies in this glorious battlefield in Rome as he's fighting to uh, vindicate his family that had been slain, but also for the glory of Rome. These are just great, great stories. Uh, like I said, they're not just because they have a lot of action in them, but because they truly are about men who died for what they believed in. Uh, now, the definition of that is, uh, is called a martyr. A martyr is someone who dies for something that they believe in. Today, in chapters, or chapter 6, 9, and 11, we're going to study martyrs, uh, but not only just ordinary martyrs, we're going to look at Christian martyrs. Not people who died for what they believed in, but died for who they believed in, Jesus Christ. They lived for Jesus, so therefore they died for Jesus. 
All right, that's what we're going to really camp out here today in just three verses. Last week, if you were with us uh, in chapter 6, 1 through 8, um, Jesus took that scroll. Uh, in that scroll in hand was the, uh, was the will of God, God's final plan written out for uh, the end of the world, the end of days, end times, which contained um, Christian uh, inheritance of heaven that we get, how the last days would unfold, um, our, uh, our victory, our, all the things that we get to inherit as Christians. And it also contained the judgment of God on all people who reject Jesus Christ as Lord. He began to open up those seals last week and it unleashed four horsemen, judgment on earth, which was the uh, war and famine and death and pestilence and disease. And those were all what we said were symbolic judgments of God that have started to, that have taken place since the beginning of Jesus's ascension uh, into heaven. That began the last days. The last days where as Jesus rose up, everything forward is the last days. And these things are slowly unfolding as history progresses and they will increase at the very end. That's why Matthew said uh, in records there when Jesus said these were the beginning of birth pains. All right, we're already in the contractions right now. We just don't know when the final contraction will be. All right, so today we see this unfolding, this last seal that we're going to look at. And the first four seals were, were, were we got a picture of what was gonna happen on earth or what was happening on earth. Today, we're going back up to heaven for these, uh, this next seal. And we're going to see, as I said, these martyrs who died for Jesus, all right? So let me, uh, let me read this uh, and then we'll pray and then we'll go to word or go to work on it and see if we can study this together. Let's read this together, nine through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. He cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of the fellow servants and brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Let me pray and then we'll study this together. Father, this is your word directly out of your mouth, and you have given us a beautiful, beautiful picture of the altar in heaven and these martyrs, faithful and true, dying for what they believed in or for the, who they believed in. Would you teach us today why we get this picture, why you wanted John to see this, why you want us to see this picture? May we learn from it. May we not only be willing to die for Jesus, but that we would begin to live for Jesus today. In his precious name, amen. All right, let's look at this together. As Jesus opens this fifth seal, John looks over and sees slain souls, like they're under the altar. The, the martyrs, their, their souls have been slain. Why are they under the altar? Why are they positionally right there under the altar? Some would say, an interpretation here, 
that the reason they're sitting there is because of their excellent service to the Lord on earth. They get this privileged position under the altar in heaven. That, that, the, that heaven's captain, uh, he has a special place for his most devoted crew. I, I think that's awesome. I'd love to think about that. And I think that's a really neat story. However, I think that they're under the altar for a different purpose. In the Old Testament, there were these two copies of heaven's altars on earth in the temple. There were these two um, altars. One was the altar of incense, but the other one was the altar of burnt offering. And it was inside the Holy of Holies. Um, And inside the Holy of Holies, that is where uh, sacrificial blood of animals was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as the blood would pour out, it would store up or it would pool at the bottom of the altar. At the base of the altar, under the altar was the blood. So as John sees these saints, their souls, this blood, this is the picture that you're seeing. These are people who sacrificed their own lives, who spilled their own blood for the sake of Jesus Christ. They were killed. Why were they killed? We're given two reasons why. They were killed because of the word of God and the witness that they had borne. Now, what does that mean? Two reasons why they were killed. Number one, because of the word of God. They literally would not betray, backslide, Water down, dumbed down the word of God. They held fast to the Bible. They believed in all of its truth and they would not bend on it whatsoever. They loved the word of God so much that they were killed because of it. The second reason that they were killed was because they, they bore witness to Jesus. That just simply means they testified to who Jesus was with not only their lives, but with their lips, they proclaimed who Jesus was, what he had done. Everywhere they went, they were testifying or bearing witness to who Jesus Christ was. And because of that, they were, of course, killed. They were willing to break, but not bend. They were willing to bleed, but not buckle. They chose death over denial, the Savior over safety. They would rather be killed than to cave in. They chose to bear witness over breathing. These martyrs counted everything as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. The Bible has long recorded death of martyrs from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, In Hebrews 11, what's been called the Hall of Faith, um, we get this great account of men and women who stood strong in the face of death. Listen to Hebrews 11, 35 through 38. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And we know in the New Testament, first century Christians often recorded as suffering persecution unto death. We know that all of the disciples were killed except for John. Stephen, of course, was the first martyr of the faith in Acts. And this picture here shows us what they were facing. They lost their livelihood, of course, for the sake of following Jesus Christ. So that'd be money and job and comfort. They were willing to lose all of that, but not just that, their own lives. They were covered in animal skins and then fed to wild animals because they loved Jesus. Some were set on fire as human candles because they loved the word of God and bore witness to Jesus Christ. All they had to do was just shut up, stop talking about Jesus. But yet, they could not keep their mouths quiet about who Jesus is. I think as these things were happening in the first century, I'm quite sure the first century Christians questioned, is God really in control? How does a good God allow such bad things to happen? Shouldn't we just shrink back from the faith? Shouldn't we just compromise and save our earthly lives? I'm sure they thought that, right? They have to be looking at this story and it's unfolding in such a way that they're losing. So I think as Jesus calls John up to give him this vision of heaven's martyrs, they needed this very, very badly. We also need this very, very badly. And I think there's four things that we're going to see of why Jesus called John up to give him this vision. Four things for us to get out of this text today. Here's the four things. I'm going to tell you out of the gate and we'll walk through. Number one, I think it gave us two uh, so that we would be encouraged by the martyrs. Number two, that we would pray for the martyrs. Number three, that we would follow the example of the martyrs. And then number four, that we would honor the martyrs. All right, so let's walk through each, each one of these and I'll show you how we can get something out of us. Number one, the encouragement of the martyrs. We should be encouraged by seeing these horrific deaths. I mean, it's, it's not good. How in the world, RC, are you going to tell me we should be encouraged by, by hearing about these tragic deaths? Here's the reason why. Let me walk through these with you. Number one, it reveals not what just happens to martyrs, but to all Christians who die before the return of Jesus Christ. Souls are in heaven with God. Souls are in heaven with God. Our bodies may lie in the dirt, but our souls are immediately in the presence of God. Jesus told the thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. So when we die as Christians, yes, our bodies 
might go into the ground or in a wall or ashes on the mantle or spread around. Yes, but our souls with immediacy go right to heaven to be with God. This is called the intermediate state. And we remain in the intermediate state until Jesus Christ does return in final glory to rapture up us when our dead bodies come out of the ground and our souls meet. We get these glorified bodies and the new heavens and the new earth is set up. But we're not there yet, but our souls are in heaven. That's the first reason you need to be encouraged. Second reason you need to be encouraged is because when you lose loved ones who die, they believe in Jesus, but yet they die. What an encouragement it should be to us to know that our lost loved ones are in the safest place on earth under the care of God. You don't have to mourn forever. Yes, it's sorrowful when we lose loved ones, and many of you have lost loved ones, but do not, do not grieve without hope. Let's look where they're at. Right, We would rejoice in this, and they are being with God who they were created to be with. The third reason we should be encouraged is because we receive profound rest in heaven. I would say we're given the robes and told they would rest a little bit longer. We get profound rest in heaven. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I get really, really tired, and I don't just mean physically tired. I get emotionally tired. I get spiritually tired all the time, and I I need a little bit of rest. To think that in glory, sitting up there with God in the flesh, in person, and all of his, his glory, that there's this serenity under the care of God, a peace and rest that we have never experienced on the earth. And I, don't, I mean better than your best day at the beach. I mean toes in the sand, your music, that you, whatever you think is your best rest pales in comparison to the rest that we will get in heaven. Man, that's, that's something to be encouraged about. Another reason we should be encouraged here is because these martyrs were given white robes. What, what, what are the white robes again? These white robes signify victory and imputed righteousness. Imputed means given, right? Not, not something that is from us. They were given imputed righteousness. That's what it says to be given a robe, a robe of righteousness Sometimes we use that word righteousness and we just assume that everyone knows what that means. What it means is that God in that moment is declaring us once and for all just and right in his sight forever. These martyrs, robe of righteousness, forever and ever and ever declared just and right before the sight of God. But we don't just get it when we get to heaven. For those who believe in Jesus Christ on earth, they trust in Jesus' righteousness, you also get a white robe of righteousness. Now, look at Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? Because he's already clothed me with the garments of salvation 
He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. You see, these martyrs weren't given the robe of righteousness because of what they did. They were given the robe of righteousness because they believed in what Jesus did. Not because they died for Jesus, but because they believed that Jesus died for them. Another way you could say that is they were given righteousness not because they lost their heads to Jesus, but because they had given their hearts to Jesus. And this is a wonderful truth for you in Christ today. If you've already believed and trusted in Christ, you have the imputed righteousness. You wear a white robe already that will never be taken away from you. We have no reason to fear death, church. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles, I think he was the fourth person of the Trinity, right? That's a joke. There's no fourth person. Uh, He said this, death to the sinner is a curse, but to the believer, it's a form of benediction. It is the gate of life. To the sinner, it is a chain dragging him down to the unutterable darkness of hell, but to the saint, it's a chariot of fire bringing him to the heaven of light and love. That's awesome. Church, we don't have a reason to fear death. I know our culture is obsessed with the fear of death right now. Death is the ultimate failure to the sinner. But for the saint, death, the only thing it does is it ushers you like a chariot into the presence of God. You never have to fear. Let's go to the next one here. Pray for the martyrs. This is the second thing we're going to see out of here. As the martyrs cry out to God, O sovereign Lord, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on the earth? They're crying out to God, praying to God right in that moment. Now, what they're doing, they're not winching to God. They're not complaining to God. God, would you fix this? What's going on up here? They're not complaining. What they're basically saying is they're crying out for justice. Justice on all of the persecutors of all these Christians who have died. God, when will you bring your justice and avenge our blood on the earth? So if these people in heaven, if these martyrs are crying out to God, how much more should we on earth pray also that God would pour out his justice and vengeance on those who persecute Christians on this earth. It's okay to do that. Do you ever sit and pray, God, let your justice flow like waters on all the people that persecute you on this earth? It's okay to pray that. David made a living of it. Read through the Psalms. Man, that guy is crying out the justice of God poured out on people all day long. Yes, we should pray for our enemies and those that persecute us, right? So you have that that realm to live in. Yes, pray, but you can also pray for the justice of God. It's a righteous thing to do. Now, this is 
We know that also our vengeance is not ours. Romans 12, Paul says vengeance is the Lord's. It's not ours. So we don't have to seek vengeance on our own. We have to trust that there will be a day when the final martyr is killed, that God will not delay any longer in avenging the blood of those who have died in Christ. He will repay all. Now, as we think about I want to give you a tool really quickly as we pray for martyrs. So you might think, how do I pray for martyrs? There's a resource called Voice of Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs. You can Google that. You can look it up later. They have a great uh, app. You can get daily emails. I get emails from Voice of the Martyrs, and every day I, my inbox tells me a story of how some Christian is being persecuted, burnt alive, killed, all these things. And it just, it just and I just want to pray for them. I want to pray that God's justice would come for those that persecuted him. I want to pray for their families as they hurt and they suffer. But you cannot pray for martyrs if you are unaware of the martyrs. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Voice of the Martyrs would be a great resource for you to go and find. The third thing that I believe that we are to do here is to follow the example of the martyrs. Imitate the martyrs. Now, Extreme Islamic uh, belief, uh, they practice what is called a suicide killing. And the reason that young Islamic radical Muslims do that is because they believe that if they give themselves up for Allah, then what they get is heaven and they get 70 virgins in heaven. Young men, 70 virgins, do I need to say any other reason, Right? Now you know why they go do those crazy things. Well, some people also think Christians, uh, they have this idea that they, if they die for Jesus on earth, that automatically, that was the automatic rights to usher into heaven because they died for Jesus. But I just said earlier, we don't go to heaven because we die for Jesus. We go to heaven because we believe that Jesus died for us. That's the only way that we Get in. What John is doing here is he's reaffirming this teaching that we would be a people that would hold fast to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus so strong that we would not compromise the gospel even unto death. That's a strong thought. I, I believe it's a, it's a difficult one. I don't want to take it lightly. To be willing to die for who you believe in. You know, think about these martyrs as they were dying. They, they wouldn't shut up for for believing in Jesus. They wouldn't shut up. And while we today, there's so many Christians that won't even speak up for Jesus. We're unwilling to compromise our own comfort. We are addicted to stuff and friends and popularity. These mar martyrs sacrificed their lives for Jesus. And we try to get people to sacrifice Sunday or their money 
or time or dreams or career for Jesus. It just doesn't match up. There's a story of a Pakistan Christian who jumped in a New York City cab that was driven by a Pakistan Muslim. And the Pakistan Christian in the back seat said, hey, tell me how Islam is doing in New York. How's the spread of Islam going in New York? He said, great. These Americans are afraid of us. These Americans are afraid to bleed. And I think he's right. We're afraid to get our egos bruised, much less bleed. You know, Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sadly, more Christians live by the mantra of, for me to live is me and to die is loss. This is a sad, sad truth. We're obsessed with the preservation of life. Let me ask you a question. Are you so committed to the word of God today, to the witness of who Jesus is, that you're so committed that you would be willing to die for it? And I'm I'm talking about physical death right here. Not symbolic, a physical death death as these martyrs are you willing to do that today or is your life more marked by compromise i i think for men and i'll speak for men i think we would say i am willing to die for my wife i am willing to die for my wife i think sometimes she might question that Sometimes in the, in, the, in the middle of the night, we'll hear a rumbling outside and like, I'm just sleeping right through it. She's all worried about who's going around the house. She's having dreams about me not taking care of her when there's someone in the house. And she's probably like, man, what a shepherd you are. But I would, I would die for my wife. I would die for my children. And I, I think some of you would do that very same thing. I think moms would die for their babies. But would you be willing to die for Jesus? You see, the only way you'd be willing to die for Jesus is if you love him more than everything else in the world. And that includes your spouse and your kids. You see, he's more deserving of our love than our spouse and our kids. I love my spouse and I love my kids, but they aren't more worthy than Jesus. Do you Love Jesus enough that you would be willing to die for him. You've heard all the inheritance of heaven, the glorious things that await you there, right? Would you be willing to do that? But, but I think that, as I've said, following the example of the martyrs here, I don't think it's as much about us necessarily be willing to die, although we should be willing to die. I think it's more about following the example of the martyrs in the way that they lived. You see, the the reason they were able to die for Jesus is because they lived for Jesus. And if you 
don't live for Jesus, you certainly will not die for Jesus. These martyrs, as I said, they counted everything as loss for the surpassing wealth of who Jesus Christ was. They loved him more than everything else in the world, including their own families, treasures, stuff, careers, jobs, you name it. They knew the surpassing love of Christ. You know, I think that Paul gives us a good picture here in Acts 20. Listen to what he said here. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, nothing is more valuable than Jesus. My own life, stuff, everything, I'll lay it down. And this is not just for us to admire Paul. Oh, Paul, you're so awesome. No, it's so that we would imitate Paul. that we would loosen our grip on everything else in the world that has a greater love on and then exchange, turn that on to Christ to see him so great, so magnificent, so uh, uh, amazing that we would be willing to die for him, that we would be willing to live for Jesus. Do you count your life, your dreams, and your stuff Family, you insert anything more precious than Jesus Christ today. If that's the case, then, then, then there's something wrong with your view of Jesus. Now, I don't, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm saying there's something wrong with your, your Jesus is too small. And you need to expand your view of who Jesus is. And I pray that things like this do that very same thing. They grow us in who Jesus is. That's why we preach about Jesus all the time here. Because he, he alone is worthy of all of us, including our own physical lives. The last thing we're going to see here is that we should honor the martyrs. Now, notice in the the back end of that text there, they were given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer while the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete. Do you you understand what, what, what that means? That means that God has an appointed list of those who will die for Jesus. He has set before the foundation of the world sheep for the slaughter. And it's not an interruption in God's plan. It is not defeat. It is all for his purpose and his glory. Now, no human strategist would ever come up with this, right? No, no, we would never sit down. Let me plan this thing out. And let me kill all these Christians and it's just going to be awesome. No, only God does this because he has this sovereign plan of the world to strengthen the church, to encourage the church to get glory. Martyrs serve a very, very important plan in the sovereign God's world. A very important plan. Like I said, they encourage the church, they strengthen the church, and they shut 
the mouth of Satan. It's an, it's an incredible, incredible plan of how God calls these martyrs. Danny Aiken said that martyrs' deaths are a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Martyrdom is also the teaching of Jesus. Look at Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. For the first 300 years in Christianity, the soil was wet with the blood of martyrs. It was not only permitted to kill Christians, it was actually made legal for 300 years to kill Christians. During that time, as you could probably imagine, horror spread everywhere in the church. Rampant, horrific deaths. Many retracted, recoiled, and turned away from the faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the crazy thing. The church, the more bloodshed there was, the more the church grew. It's crazy. You kill them, they multiply. You kill them, they multiply. Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs was the seeds of the church. It was just amazing. Like no human strategist comes up with this plan. But the more we were oppressed, the more we were killed and blood, the church just grew and grew and grew. And after the first 300 years, the church went through a flourishing where there wasn't as much persecution, not as much martyrs, until around the time, around the 15th century, when martyrdom began to flourish again during the Reformation. When the Catholic Church went wayward, got away from the gospel, and started to slaughter people for their beliefs, Huss, Wyclef, many others in the faith, because they believed in the word of God, because they witnessed to who Jesus Christ was, and because they stood fast, they were killed for their belief. In 1553 in England, any Protestant who did not convert, convert to Catholicism, they were run out of town or they were killed. In England, there's an area called uh, Smithfield, England. And in 1553, under the rule of King Henry VIII, his daughter Mary uh, was assigned with going out and killing Christians. This is during the Marian uh, age. That's what it was called because Queen Mary was going out and slaughtering those who were opposing the Catholic Church. It earned her the nickname Bloody Mary. Smithfield, England was a location where they killed many, many Christians. There's a story I, don't, I can't tell you it's a confirmed story or not, so I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. But there's a story where a bunch of uh, men were, were walking on a directional path. They were going to Smithfield, England, uh, as in a herd of people. And one man came up and stopped them and said, hey, where are you guys going? And they said, we're going to Smithfield. Why are you going to Smithfield? To see our pastor burnt. 
The man looked at him and said, what in the world would you want to go see your pastor burnt for? No good can come from that. And they replied, we're going to learn the way. The way of following Jesus. You know, there's more martyrs in the 20th century. Listen to these statistics. More martyrs in the 20th century than in the last 1,900 years combined. 10 million since 1950. 100,000 since 1950. I'm sorry, 100,000 in the last just 10 years. Every five minutes today, a Christian dies because they refuse to compromise their faith. Every five minutes in the world, a Christian dies because of the word of God and the witness that they bear. Today, since you've been here, roughly 15 people have died for the word of God and the witness of who Jesus is. It's easy to get caught up in numbers. You know, they're powerful but let me show you a couple of pics. Let's see if we can make this more personal. In December of 2014, let's see if we can get this picture up. There we go. Let me tell you who these nine people are. December of 19, or 2014, um, or of 2015, sorry. A gunman at Umpqua Community College in Rosenberg, Oregon, lined up several students and asked them if they were Christians or not. If they failed to answer, they got a bullet in the leg. If they said that they were Christians, they got a bullet to the head. All nine, all nine of these people proclaimed Christ and were killed that day. You don't hear about it, though. The, the, the media put out the story was about gun control. That's what the story you heard and I heard. They say nothing about persecution of Christians. Why? Because that's not PC. It's not politically correct to talk about persecution of Christians. You won't see it. But that's the story. Let me, let me tell you another one. Uh, let's show this ISIS one here. You guys know ISIS militants who do a lot of killing. These are, these are radical Islamic Uh, militants, and they do a lot of slaughtering. Let me tell you about a story in 2015 in Baghdad. There was a a pastor there by the name of Andrew White, and he ministered to uh, boys and young young boys in that area. Well, these ISIS militants got a hold of four uh, young men under the age of 15, probably 13, 14, and had lined them up with a sword to their necks, and demanded that they proclaim Muhammad was their God. They replied, we cannot. We love Yeshua, Jesus. We've always loved Yeshua. They said, we're going to give you one more chance. Proclaim Muhammad is the way. And they said, no, we love Yeshua. And the sword cut off all of their necks. This happens all the time. 
today in North Korea, Somalia, India, Libya, Sudan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, they're all considered, if you're a Christian in these countries, you are considered hostile and you are to be eradicated. I'm telling you all these stories today. I don't want you to pity the martyrs. Don't, don't ache and only pain and pity and feel sorry for them. And don't do that. Although it's, it's, it's egregious, it is horrific, but don't let it stop with that. Look beyond. Remember where they sit today, under the altar, in heaven, under the safest place on earth with profound eternal rest, with a robe of righteousness. And they will be avenged by God. Don't, don't pity them. Be encouraged by them. Pray for them. Imitate them. And then honor them with your life. As, we, we, uh, as I kind of bring this together, I have to tell you how to do this. I, I can't just command you or the Bible just command you, yes, be willing to die for Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is you, we just don't have the power inside of us to manufacture that kind of sacrifice. No command will move you to the point of being willing to die for Jesus. I could compel you. I could shame you. I could try to guilt you. It wouldn't work for a moment. Why is that? Because we are people that are compelled to do what we love. We're all lovers by nature, and what we love, we will always do. That's a general principle. Think about that for a minute. It's easy to do what you love. No one ever has to command me to go eat lasagna or a stromboli or pizza from Salvo's. That's easy. No command needed. I love to do that. I love, I love, I love. And that's why these men were willing to die for Jesus, not because they were compelled, not because they were guilt, not because they were more disciplined than you and me, is because they loved Jesus. That was it. And if you see Jesus right, the way they saw Jesus, dying for Jesus would not be a question in our life. Why, do you, why should you love Jesus? Because he took every single one of your sins, past, present, future. Put a robe on you if you believe in him. Covers you with righteousness. Takes away all of your sin. Takes away the wrath of God and puts it on Jesus instead. He died your death that you and I deserved. That's why you should love him. Because when you believe in Jesus, you get to sit under the safety of God, a robe of righteousness, eternal rest. Like That's why you should love Jesus. So some of you, you just need to love Jesus. And I mean, like you need to give your life over to Jesus. If you're watching online, some of you, you, you just need to understand what he did for you by dying on the cross and what he accomplished there. And you need to lay down and surrender for the first time in your entire life. If that's you, text the word Jesus. Reach out to us this week. 
Call us, email, whatever you got to do. We want to help you walk through that. If you're in the room today and you're unsure, you're like, well, I would kind of, yes, I think I would die for Jesus, but I'm not really sure. I really would do it for my kids, but I won't do it for Jesus. We want to help you see Jesus as he is ought to be seen the way he is seen in the scriptures. Some of you might need to uh, dispel the devilish gospel that you heard that said, pray a prayer, get baptized, and you can live however you want to. You might have been told that gospel from Satan by someone in your life or got confused about it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, yes, cry out to Jesus for salvation. Yes, pray that prayer. Yes, get baptized. But you better pick up a cross and follow me daily, even unto death. And those who are willing to live for Jesus, you will die for Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. You have recorded martyrs for our good, for our encouragement, to give us a glimpse of what it's going to be like sitting at your feet with robes of righteousness and victory and purity and dignity and honor forever and ever, resting in your presence so that we would pray for those who die and bleed for Jesus, that we would cry out justice for we know that vengeance is yours and you will avenge their blood. Father, that we would imitate these martyrs even unto death if we need to. That we would live for Jesus. And Father, I just pray that this church gets ready for a day when tyranny reigns, fines, prison, and martyrdom is at our door. I pray that this is a church that will stand up strong for the word of God and the witness of Jesus. In his name we pray.